Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. And welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me, as mostly always, is Nick. What's up, man? Oh, yeah. Returning champion. Returning the great and powerful Nicholas. How are you doing in the land of Washington? Yeah, pretty good. You know, today's actually extremely hot. Uh, 98. Jesus. God. Yeah, it's, it's not even that hot here. Um Though it is incredibly hot, and I tempered the heat by eating a breakfast burrito the size of my fucking face. Nice. So, yeah, I, I recommend doing that. It was really good. Um, Had one yesterday. Couldn't complain one bit about it. And I am no longer sunburned. That took three weeks, but I have achieved, uh, I've returned back to my natural whiteness, which oh, is yes. nearly translucent. Um, you so look Nick, like a person who got shot 30 minutes ago, and you're just slowly bleeding out. <laughs> I look like a corpse. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> my aesthetic is corpse has, that has been left outside for a, just a little bit too long. Um, so, Nick, I have a treat uh, for us today. And that is, do you remember that time where a whole bunch of fucking mercenaries got shoved down into puddles of their own piss by Venezuelan fishermen? Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> they called it Operation Gideon. Uh, and... It is as dumb as everybody thinks it is, but dumber. And we that's what we're talking about today. Um, ha- have you have you figured out or learned much about Silver Corps USA's one time riding into the sunset to get owned by some fishermen? No, I, I, I honestly enjoyed the memes more than anything. I didn't read up into it at all. This might be the only mercenary group that is legitimately just a meme. Um <laughs> Because it's it like it's weird because like the guy who runs it, this guy named Jordan Goudreau, which we'll talk about in depth uh, a little bit later on, was like this weird epic bacon veteran QAnon believing vet bro um, who wanted like he quite honestly wanted to be Eric Prince, but was not smart enough somehow. And Eric Prince is a fucking moron. Uh, but this guy was I don't know for to grade our war criminals here, like he's like a D grade. <laughs> Eric Prince, because he could only get like two Americans that actually believe what in what he was doing. Well, Eric Prince had an entire industry. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I was on the fence of covering this for a really long time because a lot of other shows have talked about this to include like Hell of a Way to Die. I believe Robert Evans has talked about it. And uh, I was trying really hard to wait until more information came out personally uh, because, you know, we're a history show sometimes, not always. Um, and I try to make sure that what we talk about is like relevant, is detailed. Like I try not to write, like re- or talk about things that just fucking happened because a lot of stuff can come out. Right. 
Um, and thankfully, the BBC did a really good job uh, researching Silver Core USA for me, uh, which is great because I don't think Jordan will talk to me um, because he's not talking to anybody anymore. Nobody knows where he is. But we'll, t- we'll talk about shit. that later. Yeah, the dude has fucking disappeared, uh, which I guess I would do as well if I broke, I don't know, a hundred fucking different international laws and attempted to kill the president of a country. You need to send Jesse Ventura after him. Yeah, he'd just be looking for the Venezuelan shooter at the fucking grassy knoll. Yeah. Um, now, before we get to just how the hell did this weird group of mercenaries and Venezuelan expats take part in one of the saddest regime change attempts in all time, we do get to talk about, wait for it, American-Venezuelan history and relations, because I know that's what you were waiting for, right? Uh, yeah, yes. That's, that's, that's great, because uh, I know you're pumped about geopolitics. Uh, but it is kind of important here, because it's dumb. And it directly tracks into how the fuck someone like Jordan Goudreau ended up thinking this was a good idea. And I'll do my best to not trash talk our current administration because that's illegal for you. (laughs) I understand that. But they are connected. Uh, I will ask you simply, do not comment uh, for for your job's sake. Uh, Now, traditionally, America and Venezuela were uh, like normal countries. They had normal relations as much as we do with anybody else. Uh, That was until 1999, when a guy named Hugo Chavez harnessed the electoral power of the Venezuelan poor and disenfranchised middle class and won the country's presidency with about 56% of the vote. And there is a decent argument that could be made that that is the last free and fair election that Venezuela has had. Um, Good percentage. Yeah. um, A lot can be said about Chavez's time in power. Uh, I'm not a political scientist, and Chavez is not a really big power player in this episode. But... Well, it, uh, it can fairly be surmised as both very, very good and very, very bad. Uh, but what can definitely be said is that he pissed off a lot of fucking people very quickly. Uh, but it didn't really matter too much as the, the people who originally voted for him loved him and continued to do so and largely still do. Um, they won him a second term as president in 2001. And unfortunately for Chavez or fortunately, depending on what side of the fence you fall on, he was two things that the U.S. absolutely hated. He was a socialist, and he was someone that spoke Spanish. So you know what comes next. <laughs> uh, in 2002, a coup was launched against him, and, but uh, Chavez was warned ahead of time by the, the OPEC General Secretary, Ali Rodriguez. Uh, OPEC is a cartel that manages the distribution and price of oil-producing countries around the world, If in case anybody was unaware. Mr. Rodriguez told President Chavez that OPEC had learned that Arab countries were agitating for an oil embargo against the United States. Uh, in response to uh, the Bush administration's agitation towards war against Iraq. This is 2002, so recent-ish history. I know I remember it because I'm old, but you know some people don't. Um, and they were, they were also angry at the U.S.'s stance following Israel's incursion into the Palestinian territories. I understand that I have to be very specific about which one of those times I'm talking about, but yeah. Uh, Rodriguez warned Chavez that if an oil embargo was to happen, the Bush administration would not tolerate Mr. Chavez being in control of Venezuela's oil production. Uh, even though up until this point, Chavez had been not the Chavez that people remember. Like people remember him like openly calling George W. Bush the devil, which was hilarious. Nice. Um, like say, like he took the floor at the UN after George W. Bush. Uh, and said that like I still smell sulfur because the devil was just here. This is before all that. Like he was, by all means, an agreeable person to work with. Sounds uh, like he, an, a pretty outstanding guy. You know, I would not call Hugo Chavez an outstanding guy. You know? uh, 
Just a guy but, you'd want to go hang out with, maybe go to the brewery with. I would have a beer with Hugo Chavez, that's fair. Unfortunately, he died of cancer. But uh, Which, if you believe uh, Nicolas Maduro, we gave him cancer. Uh, <laughs> probably not. But, you know, the CIA cancer gun or whatever. Cancer gun. Yep, I'm calling it cancer, cancer gun. gun. <laughs> um, oh, do you think it'd be like uh, Judge Dredd's gun where you could pick the cancer by just selling the gun? Testicular it, cancer. It's <laughs> It's like a Russian roulette where you just spin the wheel, but it's just all different kinds of cancer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Chavez was pretty open about the fact that he didn't want to take part in, in any oil embargo, mostly because that uh, that is, and to this day, it's largely correct, all of the Venezuelan economy. Um, he would be like, I don't know, like shitting in his own face to own America, and America wouldn't notice. Like, it, they would have no fucking money. He was no. There's no way he was going to tank his own economy to do this. Um, now, none of this is proven. Uh, though, in a BBC interview with Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez openly said, "Yes, he definitely told Chavez about this and the coup that was definitely coming." Um, and the coup was launched April twelfth, two thousand two, uh, by a guy named Pedro Carmona, who's largely unimportant other than this. But it occurred only four days after Iraq, still then controlled by Saddam Hussein, instituted a ban on oil exports. So, do the math. Uh, it's not great. No. Also, this would explain why Chavez replaced several units of the Presidential Guard. That was like his, you know, by definition, his personal bodyguard. Uh, to units that he knew was loyal, because he had been in the military and largely had military loyalty, but there was some disloyalty in the ranks. But he replaced a whole bunch of people only about 36 hours before it all started. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you, you can assume that's probably why he managed to escape with his life and then come back. Um, and the, the, the coup failed. Carmona went to exile in a neighboring Colombia, who then had a very quick meeting with U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell. So, yeah, we probably did that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yep, I'm not going to wait for the WikiLeaks on that one. Uh, but after all of this, Chavez became what could only be described as the best international troll in the game. Nice. Um, like I already talked about the, him going in front of the UN General Assembly and calling George W. Bush the devil. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, and during this time, the U.S. and Venezuela were fucking with one another diplomatically, like expelling diplomats, making new alliances, and various other ways that two countries could egg each other on. Though, admittedly, most of this seems to stem from Chavez's strong opposition to American foreign policy and support for uh, the Iranian nuclear program. Um, like, most of, the, most of his agitation, because, I mean, Venezuela is largely on a global scale, not that powerful of a country when you're trying to fuck with a country like the United States. So he did it by being vocally opposed to, you know, illegal wars like invading Iraq, which, like, I guess I have to hand it to Hugo Chavez here. But uh, there's a small side story to Chavez's hilarious trip to the U.N. in New York. The next president of Venezuela, and mostly the topic of this episode was also at that UN meeting, and he was the foreign minister at the time. He's a guy named Nicolas Maduro. Mm. Uh, when he tried to leave after the speech, he was stopped by Customs and Border Patrol agents, and they asked to search him. Now, this is illegal because he's a diplomat. Right. So, he ref- so he refused. Um, as like You have like a diplomatic bag, and they are just generally waved through. Uh, he refused to com- uh, consent to a search, which allowed him to be De- the word detained is not what I would use, but he was not allowed to leave. Um, 
But after a while, he eventually was let go. Uh, and then he left thinking that U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents were Nazis and racists. So uh, <laughs> never thought I was going to have to say Nicholas Maduro was right. But there you go. <laughs> anyway, Chavez got cancer and died in 2013. Uh, he gave power to his chosen successor, Nicholas Maduro, who has shown himself to be kind of the Dollar General brand of Hugo Chavez. <laughs> Uh, Maduro did excel at being in power and being a socialist, even if he was kind of a bad one, which meant the U.S. did not like him, leading to the Obama administration to slap the country with sanctions and call him a threat to American national security. Not a foreign policy wonk by any means, and I'm hardly even a historian, but I'm going to say that's suspect at best. Uh, I'm going to say that Venezuela does not have the ability to project military power. I don't feel like that's a controversial thing to say. No, doesn't sound like it either. And when I'm talking about all this, I don't mean to say that Nicolas Maduro or Hugo Chavez are good people, good leaders, or the the scions of democracy. I'm just saying it's not our fucking business. Uh, But the sanctions only increased during the recent Trump administration. Uh, These sanctions, along with uh, incredible amounts of mismanagement from both Chavez and Maduro when it came to the economy, as well as a massive drop in oil prices, led to the almost total implosion of the Venezuelan supply system and economy. This caused horrible hyperinflation of the local currency, which eventually broke the 800% level in 2014, uh, as, as well as a shortage of basic goods like food, water, electricity, medical supplies, everything. Um, it's led to a huge outflux of people immigrating away from Venezuela into neighboring Colombia, and uh, it's all around not good. It turns out, Nick... Hyperinflation, economic collapse, bad. Uh, thankfully, here in America, we don't have to worry about an economic collapse, do we? <laughs> Good anyway, thing, you know thank what? you. I've been practicing this on my civilization games. Turns out Did I you? just restart it every time. I yeah, can't. <laughs> uh, have you tried unplugging and plugging the economy back in? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you for donating to the Patreon. It's my only paycheck. <laughs> so... After this collapse, uh, Venezuela had another set of elections in May of 2018. President Maduro was declared the victor, but the results were heavily contested. Opposition parties said the entire thing was a fraud, and there is some evidence that there was a fair amount of irregularities. Thankfully, I don't know, that would never happen here, right? Uh, (laughs) Over a million new voters uh, were purged from the rolls. There was evidence of police intimidation and some people accusing the government of bribing people to uh, vote for them by giving them food. And these tactics are both sides. Uh, I, I don't mean to like both sides this election because that's gross. But like um, now, depending why, on the food, I might have to take that offer. I don't know, my price is pretty low. You give me an empanada. I'll vote for you, Maduro. Some <laughs> shits are bomb. Uh, like the Juan Guaido's uh, opposition party, who would eventually declare himself president. uh because he's the Venezuelan Pete Buttigieg, uh, well, like they were also accused of buying votes, effectively. Oh wow! And uh, there, there's evidence that both sides did this. Um, nobody's innocent here. Everybody sucks. Uh, but yeah, I'm just gonna. It, it turns out Venezuelan politics is is a land of contrasts. Uh, but most countries did not accept the election. Um, mostly those who had already had bad relations with the country, like you know us. Um, and those who were their allies accepted the results. Weird how that works. Now, the National Assembly, which is the, elect, uh, the elected legislative branch of the government, 
was controlled by the opposition party uh, and declared President Maduro's uh, presidency Ill- illegitimate and said, said the president should be Juan Guaido, uh, a representative from the state of Vargas. Uh, and he was the founder of the Popular Will Party, uh, a also strangely kind of socialist party because they're a part of the Socialist International. Uh, so like, who would have thought these leftist parties were fighting one another? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, the the Organization of American States also agreed that Guaido should be president. The OAS is a local continental organization that focuses on electoral monitoring, but it had been started in the U.S. in the 1940s to help them spread the uh, the, the spread of communism in the Western Hemisphere. So surprised that they would really, really hate Maduro uh, and want the other guy to win. So I guess what I'm saying is the OAS kind of sucks. Uh, yeah, Guaido himself declared himself president and swore himself in. Hmm? I believe he was in Miami when he did this. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 he just, just hanging out in the Keys. He he just said that he was president, uh, and he was recognized <laughs> by 60 countries uh, as the president <laughs> of uh, Venezuela, awesome. <laughs> mostly because we did it first. Uh, the the U.S. has been looking for a way to like get one in on Maduro. Mostly because we hated Chavez, and Chavez is dead, and we can't fight Chavez anymore, so we're going to fight Maduro. And this is a really good way to get one in on him. Um, and most people are just going to follow the U.S.'s lead. Uh, and like, if you remember, if you ever watched the State of the Union, Juan Guaido was there. He's the one that's face doesn't move. Like The, uh, the guy looks like he's had terrible plastic surgery. Uh, he is completely unemotional face. It's really face weird. The whole he's, time. Got, he's got like doll eyes. It's strange. Uh, but with the world turning against him and the country imploding around him, international observers assume Maduro would eventually just step down, which was the goal, like was to make his position so untenable. He'd eventually just quit, but he didn't because apparently nobody knew Nicholas Maduro weird uh, as protests spread throughout the country. It quickly became apparent that uh, Guaido, he would have to like resort to force to get control of anything um, because popular uprisings were not so popular uh they were outnumbered by maduro supporters shit got violent uh the police and the military are largely on maduro's side so like he's like hmm this isn't working uh, and that's when uh in 2019 this led to our first hilarious failed coup attempt where guaido managed to ally himself with a small group of anti-maduro elements within the military who attempted to march on the presidential palace the march ran to Maduro supporters who shot at them, causing several leading Jesus. members of the coup to run to various embassies for protection, abandoning the civilian followers in the streets. <laughs> you were attempting to overthrow the government. Why are you shocked that somebody shot at you? Like, those are, if you're to make a, like, I don't know, a risk matrix. Okay, we're attempting to overthrow the guy who kind of probably rigged the elections. Do you think he'd shoot at us? No, he seems like he's okay. No, I think they're going off the whole 50-50 chance they have a gun. They don't have a gun. Yeah. That's Maybe a good just way to for put decorations. In life. And, you know, like, you know, Guaido's people shot back too. Uh, but, you know, they were, they were, they were missing out. Um, and the popular movement kind of died. But that didn't mean that Juan Guaido was done attempting to find ways um, to take what he thought was his. Enter Silver Corps USA, the dumbest group of mercenaries <laughs> that have probably ever existed. Some of or the best maybe will memes ever that came exist. out. Oh. Now, yeah. Silver, Silver Corps USA 
was founded in 2018 by a Canadian-born American ex-Green Beret named jo- Jordan Goudreau. Goudreau was born in 1976 in Calgary, Alberta, and enlisted in the Canadian Armed Forces after finishing college in 1998. Uh, but he quickly left the Canadian military because he turned out that he thought it was kind of boring. He got out, crossed the border into the U.S., and enlisted in the U.S. Army for a nice $75,000 bonus. Holy shit. That's something that you can just do. If Goudreau sounds like a weird guy, like, because yeah, he thought the Canadian Army was kind of boring and it wasn't as badass as he thought it'd be, uh, which would lead him to, like, join another country's military. Like, normally that's, like, where the French Foreign Legion comes in for people like him. But, like, he's a weird guy, and that, it, it, he very much was. He was living in the, when he was living in the U.S., he lived with a family member who described him as arrogant and off-putting. She recounted the time that she asked him to stop at a store to pick up a loaf of bread. Goudreau declined, she said, telling her that he did not know how to do that. Huh? Yeah. He did not go, know how to go shopping. How did he live? <laughs> how is he alive? Know. The military kept him alive. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, Goudreau eventually joined the highly selective Charlie Company of the 1st Battalion, 10th Special Forces Group, and did deploy multiple times to Iraq and Afghanistan. While the people who served with him said that he was very good at his job, but all of them also wanted to note that he was weird as hell. He loved fighting people and had a hair-trigger temper. Which, this tracks since we're talking about a yeah, fucking really mercenary. Does. Holy shit. Uh, he also might have been a bit of a criminal. <laughs> so, in 2012, the Department of Defense launched a criminal investigation into allegations that Goudreau had defrauded the government of $62,000 while he served abroad. What? Prosecutors allege that he collected inflated housing allowances for his wife by claiming that she lived in Brooklyn from 2009 to 2012 when she was actually in Arizona and North Carolina, areas Ooh. for which that the military paid much, much lower allowances. He absolutely did that shit, because I know people who did that shit. Oh, yeah. I would <laughs> if I had the chance. I mean, you don't want to don't say that now. You got to wait till after you do it. But let's be honest. I already asked the list. Magic 8 Ball. Definitely not getting married. Said I wasn't. <laughs> Magic eight ball? Should I should I do marriage fraud? <laughs> I don't know. Ask later. Damn, this dependa eight ball doesn't work very well. Um, no, no charges were levied against him. A person close to Goudreau at the time said he reached an agreement to pay back a portion of the money in monthly installments in order to dodge charges. Also, should probably point out that if the DoD didn't want to dodge paperwork and did prosecute him. Absolutely nothing I'm about to talk about would have happened because old Jordan would have lost his security clearance due to being a felon. So way to go, DOD. I'm assuming <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming this is like CID that that botched this, which is on brand for CID. They're terrible. Now, Goudreau eventually medically retired from the military, claiming in various interviews that he'd been shot multiple times and blown up. Problem with that is DD-214 does not show he was ever awarded a Purple Heart. Yep. Liar too. Weird. Normally that's just SEALs that do that, but I guess wow. Green Berets did too. I'm still waiting for his book deal. Huh? Quiet professionals, I always say. Yeah, I guess SEALs write books and commit war crimes, and Green Berets just start fake companies and invade Venezuela. <laughs> I don't know. Weird flex. After the military, he really didn't have a plan for life, and according to a friend, he toured the U.S. on a motorcycle, lived out of a backpack, and slept on a hammock for a couple months before he turned up in Florida in July of 2018. I can't hit on him for that part, because that sounds kind of rad. It, it really does, in all honesty. In February of that same year, some of you might remember, a gunman barged into Stoneman Douglas High School with an AR-15 and killed 17 students in only a few seconds. 
I remind everyone of that story because in July of 2018, Goudreau had gone to Florida to attend a school safety conference where he was now acting as Silver Corps USA, its only employee and founder, and explained to school superintendents about how he could protect their students from harm. That's right. He attempted to capitalize off the mass murder of school children. So I guess he has something oh, wow. in common with the NRA in that regard. Um, he described himself as a counter-terrorist, which I suppose is kind of true. And he tried to sell school uh, leadership on the idea of putting undercover former special forces soldiers in schools, posing as teachers, which might be the most fucking insane thing I've ever heard. You know what? You'd be able to tell them apart because they'd be wearing like the grunt style tie or something. <laughs> it's the, Why is everybody wearing 5'11 pants? <laughs> <laughs> also, or, it should be noted that these people were not teachers. So it's like, well, what are they going to teach? Like, oh, we'll figure it out. Because like teaching is, you know, notoriously. E- <laughs> we're going to teach kids how to do war crimes uh, and and start apparel companies. Yeah, it's like thankfully teaching is such an easy job and thing and you know career to do. Um, they might as like, well just have them just be students, undercover students. You <laughs> like fucking? Uh, <laughs> what's that movie called? Um, Jonah Hill in it. Oh, they 21 went, Jump Street. Yeah, 21 Jump Street, but with Eddie Gallagher. It's depressing. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> now, it's it, it's interesting to put out that like how he was going to sell this to schools. It wasn't like, you're going to give me a million dollars and I'm going to do this. It was that it's going to be a, like a, a Netflix subscription for parents. Like They pay $8 a month for to the school. Yeah, it's a protection racket. <laughs> what the fuck? It's a it's a subscription based mob protection racket using people using slightly unhinged veterans in schools. Look, look, look! This whole safety thing's optional, but if you care about your child's safety, I already have a lot of guys with guns in the school. It'd be a shame if something happened. This yeah. way, <laughs> slide me the eight fucking fifty. If you don't get it now, it's gonna be nine dollars. <laughs> like, like and that's like the worst grift ever. Because even if you like, if that's at a large school, like I graduated from high school with like two thousand kids in it, right? That's not that much money, like for all of this, because you're, you're gonna have to pay these guys pretty well, right? Yeah. And then you you're gonna like have to pay for like training and cert- whatever kind of and it's Florida, so there's probably none of that, uh, any kind of certificates or anything. But like, that's like at the end of the day, you're not gonna make a lot of money, which is actually goes to show that this guy sucks at everything to do with everything. He's that guy that uh, when you negotiate with him, he'll negotiate some random crazy off the wall shit where you'd be like, yeah, I'll take that for like thirty bucks. He's like, oh yeah. Ten bucks. What? All right. Just, just for you. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Thankfully, even in the fear-gripped brains of school leadership at the time, this sounded like a crazy idea to them, and absolutely nobody took him up on it. Uh, but just because his plan to grift the th- the the Florida public school system didn't work out, did not mean he was down for the count. He ended up going into private security. Uh, acting as Silver Corps USA, mostly because he happened to know the guy that was in charge of President Trump's personal security uh, somehow. I'm not entirely sure how, but he managed to get him uh, hired to work outside security uh, for the president during a campaign stop at Bojangles Coliseum. Bojangles Coliseum. I, I just like to say that. Um, that's not important. I just like to say the word Bojangles. Uh, also, the chicken's really good, but he also worked security in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Uh, Maria. Uh, and we all know how that worked out. I'm going to personally blame him. Uh, through all this, he was posting pictures uh, on his uh, of his company, which was pretty much just him. 
to the company's Instagram page. And to this day, that Instagram page is up and sad. Uh, but in its heyday, I will let BBC explain what this looked like. Quote, its Instagram account is a mix of images of military prowess and Goudreau sprinting very fast on a running machine. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many videos of him running on a treadmill. It's ridiculous. Why? I don't know. There's like half a dozen of him just like running really fast. That's it? That's it. That's the whole I thing. Hope there's but, no context to it either. And it just like has all those normal hashtags like grind, bro, you know, gym shark or whatever. Like Gym Shark. <laughs> now you're probably wondering how the hell this guy managed to find his way to Venezuela. Hell the guy didn't even speak Spanish, nor did he ever learn Spanish. Enter Venezuela Live Aid or Venezuela Aid Live, depending on who you who you talk to or what ads you see. There's a giant benefit concert put on a British guy named uh, Richard Branson, a man who literally looks like a puppet made out of month ho- month old ham. Uh, he is he like owns Virgin Galactic, Virgin Wireless. I think he's oh, a fucking airline. Okay. He's that guy. Yeah, yeah, I know who he is. Gotcha. Uh, the concert was held just over the Venezuelan border in Colombia. Much like Live Aid in the early 1990s, uh, it was to be an all-day-long concert funded through massive amounts of donations. The main crux of Aid Live, as well as that of not-president Juan Guaido, was that millions of Venezuelans required life-saving aid to stave off hunger and disease, um, and Maduro rejected it, uh, mostly because it would have been directed through and by Guaido's government, thereby giving it legitimacy, and also, you know, that goes directly against Maduro's government. Right. Not saying that was the right thing to do, but that's why he did it. Okay. Um, so Aid Live was piling up all this money, and there's like trucks of aid, like uh, like food and whatever, on the border that they knew weren't going to get through. And all they were doing is like trying to create like a spectacle. Mm. Uh, they're like, look, look at the dictator won't give his people food. Like, you're if you come in here, you will literally depose me. Uh, <laughs> it's. It's weird. It's weird that a charity was involved in that. It's gross, and I hate it. Um, well, it's true that millions of Venezuelans did require dire aid during that time, and at the time of this recording, they still do need it. Let's just pretend that the international community gave a shit, because if they did, they would just give it to the actual sitting Venezuelan government to then distribute to the people. Right. I am not one to defend Nicolas Maduro, but let's not act like the international community was not literally leveraging a suffering and starving populace to facilitate regime change, because that's what we were doing, and it's gross. Uh, in the middle of all this was Jordan Goudreau, who managed to make his way to Colombia, working security for Live Aid and posting about it on Instagram. This dude never logged off. Did he bring a treadmill with him? He did not. Ah. And he thought he was being deep about it, too. Like, the photo caption at, at Aid Live was, quote, Controlling chaos, the Venezuelan border where the dictator looks on with apprehension. There was no chaos. There was a concert. He was at, he was at a... Jordan, you were at a concert. But he, he also tagged the video, which is still up at the time of this uh, recording, uh, which has such awesome hashtags as... as hashtag... Active shooter twice for some reason. Hashtag Harley oh, Davidson. What? Hashtag grind and hashtag CrossFit. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, I don't know why. Uh, pretty much every other video that or photo that he ever put on Instagram is some variation of some QAnon shit, CrossFit shit, or like Trump 2020 shit. He sounds like every annoying vet bro that I've ever met. 
Voltron together to form the final boss that you have to do battle with when you climb up the American Legion's racial slur tower of, or something. Like, he is the id of the vet bro. It's quite impressive. Also, one time he went to Germany and captured the, the photo, the fatherland. So take that for what it's huh? worth. <laughs> yeah, that's sus. That's sus as hell. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I cannot confirm that uh, he's a bit of a Nazi, but yikes. I don't want to. I want to libel a guy that has that many guns. <laughs> and you don't know where he is. Yeah, he could be somewhere in Hawaii. It'd be hard to tell. There's a lot of really annoying vetbro people here. So, you know. <laughs> anyway, Juan Guaido thought this concert would be the thing that finally forced Maduro to step down. To the surprise of probably only him, Maduro did not. So several of Guaido's main supporters began to look around for more military options. Soon, training camps began to be set up in various parts of Colombia, with what had to be the full knowledge of the Colombian and American governments. <laughs> These camps would recruit disaffected members of the Venezuelan armed forces and police, and eventually train up an army that could confront Maduro's security apparatus directly. Spoiler alert, that did not happen. Okay. Even though Guaido had a ton of, uh, of notional international support... It really didn't seem like anybody actually wanted to do anything to get him in power. Um, nobody ever gave him any aid. Nobody ever gave him any money. Uh, there's a guy named Herman Ailman, one of the founders of the camps uh, of the exiled Venezuelan uh, 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 people. He was a former member of Venezuelan parliament, said that he had to sell his car and apartment to afford food for the first wave of new recruits. What? And these, uh, these, this isn't like thousands of people. This is at most the low hundreds. Like, oh, I was gonna say like ten. Like, I think at most it was three hundred people. Uh, but like, if this is the exiled government of an internationally recognized head of state, even one that like the CIA supported, like we have to assume that the CIA is supporting some of this, he'd at least have money, and he has none. So like, it's pretty obvious that at some point the EU and the US is like, well, shit, we called him president and Maduro's still there. So I guess that's a wash. And then they just gave up on yeah, it. They did the old hands fucking clean. clean. Our job <laughs> anyway, here let's, is done. Let's pretend that none of this ever happened. Um, <laughs> in July, Goudreau was flown to Colombia to meet with General Cliver Alcala, the main founder and technically the commander of the camp system there. Alcala and Goudreau talked about the plan that they had for finally deposing Maduro. Quote, we talked about the plan, a tactical operation to capture the big players in Venezuela that would then be handed over to the United States. Juan Guaido would assume a mandate as interim president, leading to free elections in Venezuela, remembered Herman Ailman. The problem, according to Ailman, was that they had no goddamn money. Goudreau was already selling himself as a counter-terrorist, also sold himself as a money guy, telling Ailman that he could get financing because he knew some people. And that is when Goudreau met with Guaido's or the presidential commission. That was supposed to be like the, something of like the international headquarters. It's based out of Miami. It was a guy's house. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a guy's house. Sweet uh, headquarters. It was like a mansion because like, of course it was, but still it was a house. Uh, once there, he told the commission that he totally had big business backers, but they needed assurances that if they paid into the operation, they could reap economic rewards later on under a new Guaido government. And this is where I should point out there's zero evidence of anybody backing Silver Corps in this. In the world of the PMC, their private military corporation, or mercenaries, Goudreau was a fucking nobody. I reached out to other people that I have talked to when, I, when, we, when we need, I don't know, advice when it comes to talking about P- 
PMCs, none of them have ever heard of fucking Silvercore. Silvercore was not like a mover or a shaker or a player. They were a fucking nobody. Like as a fucking Green Berets cosplay program. Uh, and was he the, still at, the only one at this yes, time? Yes, he's ah. absolutely the only employee still. Uh, like he's like the number was his personal number and shit like that. He definitely ran all of their accounts. Um, everything was through him. Uh, he does get some other employees later on, which uh, <laughs> we'll talk about them too. Uh, th- what's important is that this guy had never worked on any big contracts for anybody. He had always been a subcontractor. He had like so when someone's signing up for like million dollar deals or whatever, they want to make sure that the person that they're dealing with can be trusted, and nobody fucking trusted him. Furthermore, if somebody did talk to him, he probably would have posted about it on fucking Instagram. This is the guy that cannot keep any secrets, but did prove himself to be an outright liar through most of his professional life. Goudreau did meet with several people, but none of them bought into this idea, mostly because they thought that he was unstable or probably some kind of ATF or fucking CIA plant because he's going around talking about privately funding a raid to capture the president of Venezuela. Jesus. Like, that's... Yes, I would like to talk to you about a business proposition. Uh, I would like to capture uh, Justin Trudeau of Canada. Of, of Canada, uh, sir, this is L and L Hawaiian barbecue. Um, yeah. No, no, hear I, me out. Hear me out. Like this is effectively what he's doing. He like it's like when you're in a baseball team for like youth baseball and you have to go around looking for sponsors. <laughs> he's very open with what he was attempting to do with this money. So like everybody thought that he was nuts. Uh, and one businessman did admit to talking to him, a guy named Rowan Kraft. Uh, he's a Texas consultant. Uh, he said that he rejected the idea within minutes because Goudreau seemed crazy to him. So, yeah. I mean, good on him. Yeah. I mean, let's, good let's, catch. I don't often say nice things about Texas, and I won't, so I'll move on. Uh, <laughs> but that uh, this whole time... He's promising to the Goudreau presidential people, like, I'll get the money. Or Goudreau's promising Guaido's presidential people, I'll get the money, don't worry about it. Um, and he promised it. But he had never had any evidence. Uh, but uh, apparently being told, like, don't worry, I'll get the money, was good enough for Guaido. Because he signed a contract with Silver Corps to, quote, capture slash detain slash remove Nicolas Maduro, remove the current regime, and install the recognized Venezuelan president, Juan Guaido. Do you really believe that he could do that? Uh, he signed the contract, and there's actually uh, I, now Guaido ref, refuses to believe that he did that. There is audio evidence that he did. Huh? Yep. Not great. It turns out when you're dealing with a two-faced grifter, like he might video record you. Weird. I mean, yeah. Um, Goudreau would get a 1.5 million dollar retainer, and then collect 200 million dollars once the job was done. Probably in oil kickbacks or something that Wagner Group would be familiar with. <laughs> but who cares, right? The deal is signed. The shit is on. Who cares about the details? Yeah, about that. Within only a few days, the deal between Silver Corps and the not Venezuelan government was on the rocks, mostly because they were still asking where the fuck the big business backers were, and Goudreau did not have any. But he did demand to be paid his retainer. Uh, the commission correctly, like, well, we want to see what you have. Like, I'm not going to give you a million and a half dollars and you have no backing for us. Uh, but he didn't have him. Uh, so Goudreau produced nothing, leading him to be literally physically removed from the meeting. Holy shit. <laughs> and the commission then canceled the deal. Though they did pay him $50,000 with a representative saying it was for travel costs. He yeah, was already living he in Florida. I don't know. He got fifty grand. Now, 
Got this sweet coup deal in the trash. It must be. It must have been time for Goudreau to finally buckle down and get into the racist t-shirt griff like every other Special Forces veteran, right? Of course not. Otherwise, we wouldn't be fucking talking about him. Goudreau just kept on working. Instagram during the meeting. He sh- yeah, he should have been trying to have been like an Instagram baddie or something. Yeah. I don't know. Starting OnlyFans and you're just, it's just you <laughs> running on a treadmill. <laughs> Goudreau just kept working on deposing Nicolas Maduro. Though... Now for absolutely for nobody in particular and with no one backing him. He also managed to recruit two more Special Forces veterans. A guy named Luke Denman and another guy named Arian Barry. Also, be suspicious of anybody named Arian. Yeah. Automatically weird first name. Uh, now for reasons that will become clear by the end of this episode, they could not be reached for comment. But people have, have since been interviewed, like their families. And both of these men that seem to have had a very hard time leaving behind their former military lives um, and just constantly were like kind of floating around through life. Maybe they should have started a podcast, um, but they, they were <laughs> contacted by Goudreau with the promise of a job, a job that he said that was supported by the U.S. government and the CIA. Oh, you might know those two things are gigantic lies, but apparently Goudreau's word was good enough for both of them. Big liar pants. Uh, hilariously, one of the guys who did visit the camps in Colombia, uh, now he was a Green Beret veteran. Sorry, he's a Navy SEAL veteran, but uh, he wasn't being directly targeted by Goudreau for like being hired. But like he was, it was clear that Goudreau wanted to show this off to him. Like, like look, look what I got. Don't you want to be part of this? So former Navy SEAL Efrem Matos uh, spoke to the Washington Post, and he said that he said that like he knew that something was wrong because what he was looking at is he said, quote, they didn't ha- have enough food. They were drinking water from the river, oh. a stagnant river, and they were bathing in it and, and everything. It was horrible. I was like, you guys, if you were backed by the United States government, you realize you'd have plenty of food, right? And then he left. Holy shit. <laughs> a small side note here. As Goudreau was ramping up his dumb operation to bring in more Americans, the Venezuelans were deserting the camp. <laughs> yep. Uh, like General Akala had told uh, Goudreau, that he had around 300 men at most. He really only had about 60, and that number was rapidly dwindling. Jesus. And in, in case this operation could not be going any worse, they lost support of Colombia. A small hint of this was, despite the camp being some, something of an open secret... The Colombian government seized a large shipment of military gear and weapons that was bound for Goudreau's operation. Some people might remember that from the news. It was like hundreds of rifles. Really? And you're, if you're wondering how he paid for it, that $50,000 that the president, presidential committee gave him was probably part of it. Yeah, there was uh, also another weapons shipment that got caught in Venezuela. Um, that was also his. Um, well, nothing made it to this guy. <laughs> no, uh, because he wasn't good at smuggling. He literally just put them in the back of a car. And that's why like people were uh, talking about how, oh, the U.S. has to be involved in this. Look, they're all M4s or whatever. From what I can gather is um, through a, a, co- a connection that he knew in Colombia, he was able to buy a ton of weapons from Colombia. Like, as like they fell off the back of the truck of the Colombian army type deal. Right. Which is hilarious because the Colombians took his money and then busted him. 
Hey, they got it back. That's to, hustling right there. To quote DJ Khaled, congratulations, you just played yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, then something weird happened. The U.S. Department of Justice indicted General Akala for drug trafficking. What? They would also go on to include Nicolas Maduro and a long list of other people that worked for the Venezuelan government. Um, and it's like all of those are still open. Um, the accusations are that a massive drug trafficking operation is being ran by the Venezuelan military and that they funnel that pain to the government, giving them a source of liquid cash when everything else had failed them. They aren't the only country to do something like this. Probably the most notable one that does something like this and almost certainly still does is North Korea. Uh, they pretty much have what is effectively an entire ministry of government whose entire job is dedicated to the black market and running like counterfeit money and drugs um, because it gives the country a lot of cash. Um, in Venezuela, this is a documented practice that began in the early 90s. And the cartel's supposed name, the Cartel of the Sons, the, su- the sun being the insignia of, the Ven- of a Venezuelan general, uh, first popped up in 1993 when two generals of the anti-drug National Command were arrested for the role in it. The allegation is that the cartel continues to this day uh, using the Venezuelan military as cover. A hint that this is true is that multiple generals of the National Guard have been arrested while moving huge amounts of coke around the country as well as over international borders. And also the adopted son, uh, uh, the adopted son of Nicolas Maduro, uh, Celia Flores, um, sorry, uh, Celia Flores' adopted son, who is the wife of Nicolas Maduro and the first lady of Venezuela, was caught with a massive amount of drugs in his car. Really? Yeah. But unlike everyone else, I, ta- I talked about Alcala actually gave up, turned himself in. Uh, some people have said that the U.S. and Colombia went after Alcala, even though he was pretty much on their side, is because uh, while he had once worked in the cartel, he had since left it. But the camps that he was running were beginning to make people nervous, and the U.S. is worried that he might do something stupid, like, say, hire Jordan Goudreau. <laughs> um. So they assumed that if they arrested him, the men in the camps would just give up and go home. But they didn't. Antonio Sequeia took over command from the camps uh, and the movement uh, in general. Sequeia was waiting for Goudreau to come from Colombia to meet with him. But Goudreau wasn't going to make it there. So where was he? Well, it's now March of 2020 at this point. And he was grounded by the pandemic that we're all, all living through. He but wouldn't be getting on a plane. Him. Oh yeah, he's that he's, he's he's running really fast forever. Yeah, uh, he wouldn't be getting on any plane again for, before the operation started. Another thing that happened before the start of Goudreau's big operation: the entire thing was leaked to the government of Venezuela. The Did real one. Uh, nobody's really sure who leaked it. On March twenty eighth, like he accidentally leaked it. Yeah, uh, probably. I mean, he's poking, posting about fucking Instagram. Yeah, he probably tagged Nicholas Maduro in it. <laughs> yeah, coming for you. On March 28th on his weekly TV program, Diosdado Cabello, who's Venezuela's number two after Nicolas Maduro, had some shocking revelations. He presented a comprehensive overview of the exiles camp in Colombia with the names of many of the Venezuelans and all three of the Americans involved. Jesus. A lot of people think the camp had long since been infiltrated by Maduro spies, which probably would have been pretty easy. Uh, while still others think that Alcala spilled the entire plan to the U.S., who then leaked it to Maduro on purpose in an attempt to get the idiots in the jungle to call the whole thing off. Uh, I'm going to go out and say I think both of those things are possible. <laughs> but the fact remained that the government now knew everything. 
People in the camp saw the government was onto them and began to panic, which led Antonio Sequeira to tell them not to worry about it because the U.S. had it all under control. Hmm. The other two Americans in the camp had no idea what was happening because they did not speak Spanish. Yeah. And when, th- when they called Goudreau, he reassured them that more U.S. veterans were on the way to reinforce them. Also not true. Do sound, sound like a real scumbag. It isn't known if Goudreau knew about Maduro, knowing about his plan, but if he did, he did not warn his employees. No. There may have been a good reason for this, though. Goudreau was now in debt uh, at around... Th- Thirty thousand to fifty thousand dollars because shipping tons of weapons to Colombia is expensive. Uh, and he now, since he spent all that money on weapons and that all got captured, he had no money. But only a few days before, the Department of Justice put a ten million dollar bounty on Nicolas Maduro's head. Oh, his plan was already to capture him and, and place Juan Guaido in Caracas as president. Why not still do that and escape from this debt and make a profit? And maybe the presidential commission would then make good on their deal and give him 200 more million dollars. Probably not, but whatever. The plan was as dumb as it was reckless and insane. Soldiers were to load themselves in rickety boats and make an amphibious landing on the coast of Venezuela after taking off from Colombia. After that, they would sneak into Caracas and lay low for a couple days in safe houses, which, I should point out, had never been arranged. Uh, before launching their attacks on the government institutions like the presidential palace, the military jail, and the headquarters of the SEBIN, which is the intelligence service of Venezuela. On Friday, the 1st of May, at 6 p.m., a boat carrying 11 men left the shores of Colombia bound for Venezuela. They had eight rifles between them for 11 people. Ten minutes later, a second vessel did the same thing. This one with 47 on board and just two rifles. It was later revealed that one of those rifles was an airsoft gun. Uh, talk, talk about that. Talk that piece for a second. <laughs> it was an airsoft gun. Is there the be- any reasoning behind why? I have a hard time believing they thought it was real. Maybe they're hoping they could scare a cop and take their gun or something. Yeah. In which case, all they have to do is be black. <laughs> uh, within an hour one of the engines had failed and people began to get seasick Jesus as the first boat pulled into the town of Makuto on May 3rd uh, it immediately was ambushed by the army killing eight of them holy fuck <laughs> fucking owned God they were waiting for them the whole time they knew exactly yeah. where they were landing alright boys this is what we've been training for Let's hit the beaches. Fucking dead. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> the second boat was miles behind them, stuck out in open ocean and running out of fuel. <laughs> they used the last of the fuel to drop off some people in the woods while the two Americans were on board that were captured by Venezuelan fishermen without a fight. Though I guess that would be hard to do with an airsoft gun. <laughs> That's my favorite part about the whole thing, is that the airsoft guns were held by the most qualified people to That's actually what- fight. That's who was holding them? Yes. Why? I don't know. Were they, did they not trust themselves? I wouldn't trust them. I Last time I, I had a gun, I killed a whole bunch of innocent people, so it's probably best I carry this airsoft gun with yeah. the orange tip at the end. <laughs> In case anyone was curious where these two men came from, they made it very easy to be ID'd because they carried their Silver Court USA employee ID card, their driver's license, and in the case of Barry, his veteran's ID card. <laughs> he was going to hit up Caracas for the fucking veteran's discounts. You know what? 
I hope the Silver Core ID card was like just like Coriola and a fucking index card. It looked purposely like a cat card, like a, a normal uh, military ID card, but without the chip because that would require them to be able to log into something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, obviously, Maduro knew about this plan for a very long time, but in case he didn't, uh, Goudreau did a solid for him by live-tweeting the entire operation and also making an Instagram video preaching about the mission's success hours after everyone involved had either been shot dead or captured. Jesus. He put out the first video on May 1st, two days before the ambush and capture of the first group. Solid work by the U.S. Army's famed silent professionals. That dude there. I'm not saying that this dude doxed his own people like through Twitter or whatever. But because I, I mean, the government definitely knew about it beforehand, but how bad do you have to be to not think that like the entire Venezuelan security apparatus won't at least follow your Twitter account after they know who you are. Maybe they didn't think he didn't think he was that big of a deal. Well, I put Ju- Jordan, I put n- at not Jordan Goudreau. Yeah. So like, <laughs> After it became clear to Goudreau that the world and the rest of the world that whatever the hell it was that he had planned had failed hilariously, the guy still could not shut up. He instead went on a internet news show uh, and openly admitted that, yep, he was involved, and he had signed an agreement with Juan Guaido to do so, who re- refused to acknowledge that he had anything to do with any of this. So that's when uh, Goudreau pointed out that he had secretly recorded the meeting. Jesus. As for Barry and Denman, uh, while all this is happening, they've been sitting in a Venezuelan jail and facing enough charges to keep them there, probably till they die. Um, So they're still there. Oh, they were just sentenced to 20 years. Nice. Which is is interesting because at the the being there, facing 30 years. Because I don't believe Venezuela actually has life sentences. Um, They don't have the death penalty either. But if you've read anything about... Venezuelan prisons, the death penalty is the prison itself. They routinely have giant uh, riots where like 40 people will be stabbed to death. Jesus Christ. So I am willing to bet uh, Barry and Denman are not long for this world. Shame. No. <laughs> um, and you know, during the interrogation, uh, which I'm sure was not friendly, uh, Barry and Denman both said that they were employed by the U.S. government. Which a lot of people said, like, see, look, they do work for the CIA. But that would make sense because both of them believed that they were working for the U.S. government because that's what Goudreau had told them. I wonder if uh, Goudreau was ever actually going to go with them. He planned on it. Um, there was actually a weird thing where there was a boat um, that was floating towards Colombia that was found adrift. Um, and it was called, like, the Silver Point USA. Um and it was owned by him, Jordan Goudreau, but he was not on it. Um, and there, there was a theory that they were attempting to smuggle weapons from Florida to Colombia, and it like ran aground or whatever, or ran out of gas, and they had to bail all the weapons out, and then called for help, and the U.S. Coast Guard went and got it. Huh. Um, but and that he did have plans to get there, but then the pandemic hit and everything shut down. Right. Um, which is why all this is really funny because you see these guys getting like frog marched by Venezuela national guardsmen with a mask on like, Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> As they're like, they're like laying in the ground, the puddle of their own piss pulling around them. Like, cool. They got a mask. At least, at least yeah. they're responsible. 
Now, you're probably wondering, like, what the fuck has happened to Jordan Goudreau? Well, I kind of spoiled that already, but he has vanished off the face of the goddamn earth. Nobody has been able to find him or interview him. Um, and he hasn't said anything about anything since he outed Gua- uh, Guaido for kind of employing him for a little bit. He, like, the um, the Silver Core USA Instagram account has not been um, updated in quite some time. And when it's been updated, he's very clearly not in the United States. Um and he is not currently wanted for any crimes. Really? The FBI has not admitted that they are investigating him, um, despite all of the crimes that he did. Because, right. like, look at all of the crimes that he did. But, yeah, that's, that's how this ends. Nicholas Maduro, still president. Barry and Denman in prison forever, it seems like, probably. Um, and uh, Jordan Goodrum having a... Summer vacation, I guess. I don't know. Living his best Wherever life. Wherever he is. Maybe. Living, laughing, loving. <laughs> I don't know. That was interesting. I definitely didn't know that. Yeah, I, I was really hoping that like Jordan Goudreau was running or something. Um, I don't know. Uh, and like, I was hoping that he had like an ATF warrant against him because like all of the weapon smuggling. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. That he and the fact that at least. he was working very closely with a fucking member of an international drug cartel who was wanted by the U.S. Department uh, Department of Justice. I don't this know. Guy. I don't know. Glad you got to tell me about it because I definitely wasn't going to read about it. I was just going to keep looking at the memes. I had a lot of fun with this one, to be fair. Um, so, Nick, we do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. Hell yeah. Um... And we, we've, we've gotten a lot of them recently. Um, so I'll, the, what is, in your opinion, the worst experimental project in the U.S. military history? Experimental? Well, I, yeah. Uh, I think we did two series on that. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I'm going to go with Project 100,000. Um, for people who are new to the show, I know That's there's a, a lot one. of a lot of them after my recent appearances on other shows. What's up? I'm a clout shark. Um <laughs> Uh, the Project 100,000 is the idea that during the Vietnam War, they could force people who had uh, mental disabilities and defects and were otherwise not suited suitable for military service to be suddenly suitable for military service and sent to Vietnam. Um, uh, uh, hilarity did not ensue, it turns out. It was all bad. Um, and, uh, you know, the... The army force feeding acid to everybody. Oh yeah, was was also not great. <laughs> I guess I don't know, if 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 I was to um, pick which one of these projects I would like to be involved in, I would much rather drink coffee cups full of acid than go to Vietnam. Oh yeah, but low hanging fruit. What about you? I think I'd, I'd have to go. Let's say some piece of equipment here. I I think me and you were looking at that one picture one day of like the hovercraft. Of the two blades under the dude on like a bicycle seat. Oh yes, the helicopter. It was the oh, personal helicopter. God. Yeah, and if you fell off, you would die <laughs> immediately. <laughs> One wouldn't mind actually seeing that in action. To be honest, if we're talking about vehicles, I'm gonna have to. I gotta give a shout out to the Davy Crockett. If you're familiar Davy with Crockett? that, it was a nuclear recoilless rifle. Oh, okay. Yes, I am familiar with that. And we talked about it very briefly um, uh, on my episode, The Nuclear Anthropologist. And um, the yield of the nuclear weapon was so strong that the person who fired it was not clear from the blast. I would imagine they weren't. <laughs> so it would just be like a suicide mission for him. 
Yeah, like on the bright side, you never have to go to the field or anything because like, it's why true. do you need to practice? You're not, you're, you're never going to practice. You can't miss, and you're never going to, you're never going to fire a second shot. They give him like sim rounds, and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like this. And then he goes out to the field, and they're like, this guy's a goner. <laughs> we gave him the live one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick, as always, it's it's been a pleasure talking about <laughs> watching vet bros get fucking <laughs> destroyed by fishermen. Um, also, like, it's unfortunate that the people that got killed were all Venezuelan. Like, none of the Americans yeah. died in this operation, even though they're the ones that forced it forward. So, like, that sucks. Um, and I guess. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this wonderfully delightful show. And it is our solemn promise to you, the listener, that we will never use our Patreon dollars to attempt to overthrow Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela. Yet. Um, no. <laughs> the, the, the king of Bhutan, though, that motherfucker has it coming. So, <laughs> you know, I guess calling you out, King Wang Chuck. Fuck. Anyway, till next time, everybody. <laughs>